Welcome to the B2B Strategy Podcast, your roundtable of B2B strategists guiding you in every decision you make in growing your business. Today, we'll be talking to Ashley Foss. Ashley is the Director of Integrated Product Marketing at Atlassian. The reason I invited her to the show is because of her deep understanding of thought leadership. I found her framework on LinkedIn. It's called the Four Pillars of Thought Leadership. Everything you thought you knew about thought leadership may be wrong. And in this episode, we're going to find out why. Most B2B company executives, before applying any kind of advice or strategy, they need to know why. Is it worth the resources spent? So Ashley, why is it so important to be a thought leader? What are the most clear benefits of being a thought leader in the B2B space? So this has been well studied. There was actually a really good report put out by LinkedIn and Edelman, um, which obviously LinkedIn is kind of the platform for people to kind of start building a huge social media following on for B2B uh, and, you know, SaaS and technology. And then Edelman has been in the reputation management space for years. So they've got a report outlining a number of benefits, including um, more ability to attract talent, more ability to attract your ideal customer, faster deal cycles closing. So from a marketing perspective, this is great. Um, the ability to attract, attract more investment. This could be institutional. This could be across analysts. It could be instilling trust in shareholders, but basically um, attracting investment. So those are a couple of the key things from a benefits perspective. Um, it accelerates deals. It accelerates talent. It accelerates investment like all the way around. It really helps you um, achieve those bottom line business impacts. Yeah. And especially, I guess, with LinkedIn, you're not just nurturing your audience, you're nurturing everyone. So just like you said, you know, investors, referrals, anyone in your network. So the reason I wanted to invite you was because of your framework, uh, the four pillars of thought leadership, super detailed explanation of what thought leadership is that I have never seen before. So what what are the four pillars of, of thought leadership? First pillar is around credibility. And so that's, do people believe you when you say things? Are you being cited? Um, do you constantly have to cite your sources? So really understanding whether or not people believe you when you say things, so that's credibility piece. Profile. So this is how many people know you and what is the nature of those connections? Are you, you know, this is what a lot of people think of when they think of someone being famous. So, oh, you're constantly getting asked to speak on big stages. You're constantly featured in big technology publications or you're constantly featured in top tier publications. Um, so that's the profile piece. Being prolific. So how often are you writing, speaking, sharing? Um, this includes social media. This includes your own personal blogs. This could be on third party sites. And then finally, the depth of ideas piece. And this is where a lot of people get tripped up. So depth of ideas is about doing something new and novel. If we just look at the core definition of thought leadership, it's have thoughts, be a leader. So that profile piece is kind of the be a leader piece. Have thoughts is the depth of ideas piece. Um, and people get tripped up on this because they think that the depth of ideas is just about being smart. But it's not just being about being smart in the thing that you do. It's not just about making a lot of money for yourself, having really great ideas for your team, delivering on your key results for your company. It's about codifying those ideas, shaping the conversation and driving the industry or the technology forward or the ideas forward and really shaping that conversation so that people can change how they think, how they strategize and how they execute. That's that's the big piece is that codification piece. A lot of people forget that. They think it's just, I'm super smart, so I have depth of ideas. And it's like, nope. In the context of being a thought leader, um, it's about sharing those ideas and codifying them. So all the pillars work together. I get this question a lot of like, which pillar is most important? And I'm like, all the pillars, because if you're <laughs> only strong in one, 
That's not being a thought leader. That might be a subject matter expert. That might be an influencer. That might be a famous person, but that's not a thought leader. So they do work together in tandem. Yeah. So I, I've, I've been thinking about this, the whole concept recently. And I think that, I think for me, the big difference between an expert and thought leader is that the thought leader, I think what you're saying is that thought leader has a relation into other people. Expert is just simply, they, they know things, but there's, they have to share that. They have to lead an audience. It's a key difference there. So there's tons of misconceptions of what a thought leader is um, simply because it's just used so often, big buzzword. My question is, what isn't a thought leader? Maybe that helps clarify some things. Sure. So I can talk about this in the context of um, two other words that, that are often misunderstood. So subject matter experts and influencers. And I know influencer is the hot new buzzword, right? Like, yeah, we need to have employee influencers and like talent influencers and social influencers. And I'm like, okay, great. We've just now replaced this awkward thought leadership buzzword with a new buzzword. So uh, let's talk about what it isn't in terms of subject matter expertise and uh, being an influencer. So Subject matter experts tend to have really high credibility and they actually are pretty strong in their depth of ideas. And usually these are the people when you are, especially if you're internally and if you're at a large company, the question of like, yeah, who do we need to ask about this? Or who's doing a lot of the innovation for the company? It's probably a subject matter expert, but they tend to be weak in the profile and prolific pillars. They're so busy doing their job. They've got a lot of experience. They're executing really well. And so they're so busy doing their job and writing internal documents, attending internal meetings, and actually executing that they're not being prolific. They're not codifying it. And they're not out there sharing. And so a lot of people, I, I see a lot of people point to folks internally who are super smart and they are the go-to person internally. And they're like, who's the thought leader on this? And a name will come up. But then when you actually go look and you're like, well, are they speaking? Are they writing? Are they on podcasts? Are they on social media? Do they speak externally? Who else knows them? And the answer is nobody. So that's the first one is the subject matter expert. Just because somebody's very smart and doing good work doesn't make them a thought leader. The second one is the influencer. And these are people who are really high on the profile piece, but generally pretty shallow on the depth of ideas. They're actually kind of okay on the credibility piece. Like they wouldn't have influence if people didn't believe what they say and have some trust for them, but they're not doing anything novel. And usually they're only in, they're only an influencer in one area. So from a prolific standpoint, they tend to only be in one channel. So you see this a lot, especially on the B2C side with lifestyle influencers or lifestyle bloggers. They're great on Instagram. Maybe they jumped over to TikTok now. That's the new darling, but they have zero presence on LinkedIn, zero presence on Twitter. They're not in top tier publications. They're not, um, posting, you know, long form content. They don't have a book. They're not speaking, right? They're just kind of like, yep, they post their one outfit of the day on Instagram. And we see this with tech as well. I, I come from a um, software as a service company. And so we see this sometimes where it's like, this person is big and an influencer in this one topic on Twitter and that's it. But they're not saying anything new. They're just maybe shouting really loud about a specific topic. Um, and then the last one I'll say that's a misconception is that if you have a big fancy title, oh, you're a thought leader. We're going to do thought leadership for the founder, right? I hear this all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our founder is a thought leader. Okay. What do you think that means? Well, I mean, they're the founder. Okay. What do they talk about? Well, they talk about the product. I'm like, okay, so, so they're doing sales content. No, it's a founder. Therefore it's thought leadership. I'm like, okay, a, t a big fancy title at the company does not make somebody a thought leader. Again, they, that makes them 
usually stronger in kind of the profile uh, pillar. And maybe, obviously, you know, they've done some interesting work. So they are probably pretty strong in the credibility pillar. But again, I find that a lot of executives tend to be fairly weak in the prolific and depth of ideas pillars. Because again, remember, depth of ideas is not about being smart or doing good work. It's about that ability to shape, drive, change the conversation in the market because of your ideas and because of the novel things that you're doing. And so most busy execs are not taking time to codify and share. So um, they may actually be okay on the profile piece. They're usually pretty solid in the credibility piece, but they're very low on the um, profile or the prolific and depth of ideas pillars. So those are the three that I'll call out as these are not thought leaders, but people often throw it out as like right. they could right. be thought leaders or, oh, surely they're a thought leader because they're a subject matter expert, they're an influencer, or they have a, um, a big title. I really liked it. Where, I don't know if it was what you said or it made me think of this, but you said something about how experts are are experts because they're busy doing their work. Like they don't have time to, to share and that's what makes them an expert and not a thought leader. And I was talking a lot with uh, Logan Lyles about how a new trend possibly or a new, new job role is going to be a journalist to kind of extract that expertise out of these subject matter experts and make them into thought leaders because they don't have as much time or they don't know how to share those, those ideas that they have. Um, do you think that's possible like to kind of help someone extract those ideas out of them to become a thought leader? Or do you think that to go from the transition from expert to thought leader, they really have to just sit down and write all their content and do it all themselves. What are your thoughts on that? I think it is possible if there is enough source material. So at that point, you're talking about two different skills. One is the skill of thinking, exploring, codifying. The other is the skill of content creation and distribution. I think the best thought leaders have both skills. And this is not to say that they have to do all of the long form content, all of the decks, all of the YouTube videos, all of the podcasts all the time. But if they don't have enough source material to pull from, you're starting to outsource the thinking. You can't outsource the thinking, right? Mm. So a perfect example of this would be, you know, I have a number of folks internally who have done some really great thinking and they've given a one hour talk at a conference. And then that comes to someone on my team and they're like, hey, can you help us figure out how to repurpose this on LinkedIn? And our social media expert will say, sure, here's how you can pull a couple of different slides into a carousel for LinkedIn. Here's how you can do a tweet storm um, on Twitter. And here's how you can uh, maybe pull this into an infographic for community, or you can pull this into a top three takeaways for community. That's an excellent example of somebody who's already done the work to think through. They've put together the talk, they've structured it, it's original thinking. And now they're partnering with somebody to expand those ideas. Unfortunately, what often happens is they come to whoever this journalist is or the journalist comes to them and says, hey, you're super smart. Can I grab 30 minutes with you? Sure. And then they push, push, push 20 times. And then when they finally get their 30 minutes, they show up 10 minutes late and they're just like kind of rambling. And now it's like, yeah, sure. You go do all this other research on the trends Go talk to these 20 other people in the organization to get their input on how this is shaped. You write a whole article and then just slap my name on it. That's not thought leadership, right? <laughs> that's that's investigative journalism and 20 other people and trying to cobble together a story. So the way I frame this up as we look at the scope of ownership, especially when you're first starting out, 
in my opinion, it has to be 90% the thought leader. The person that is going to be the thought leader, they have to be showing up, doing the work. They have to have enough original source material. As they build out that foundation of source material, then it can start to move to say 50% ownership, where maybe they've got a team helping them repurpose. And then maybe eventually 10% ownership where they're sitting there and they're coming up with like the really net new stuff, but then somebody else can help tie those ideas together or repurpose them into different channels, but you can't outsource the thinking. Interesting. Yes, that makes sense. I mean, thought leader, you have to have thoughts. So I want to break down each pillar into more detail. So I'll go through each each pillar separately. So I want to go first with the pillar of credibility. So how how do you create the credibility you need to be a thought leader? What, what are the steps you can take to do that? There's a couple of different markers of credibility. Um, some of them are formal, like positional authority. So this is having a title. This is having the credentials, right? It sounds much more credible if somebody has a PhD or a master's or 20 years of experience or they're a certified expert than it does to say, yeah, so-and-so, a marketer, generally. Um, sorry, I conflated the years of experience in there with the, the positional authority. So I would say positional authority is things like certifications, degrees, uh, titles. There's also that experience piece. So if somebody's been doing something for 20 years, 25 years, that tends to lend them credibility. The other piece of this is that when you're an expert and you have that deep knowledge, there's an element of it where it's almost like, Expert recognizes expert, right? There was a really interesting, there's a series um, where someone who is an expert in the field and that is marked by positional authority, they're a PhD in say cryptography. And they basically go through and explain their area of expertise and a core problem that they solve to a five-year-old, like to an elementary schooler, to a high schooler, to a college undergraduate, and then to another PhD. And even as a non-expert, I can watch that and recognize, wow, this person's understanding of the topic, their ability to say this in a way that a five-year-old can understand, they have such a strong understanding of this topic that they can simplify it to that level. And then obviously, as you watch and the conversation changes as somebody has more knowledge, and then obviously the conversation between another, you know, one of their peers in the field they're not, they're not even having the same conversation, right? It's interesting to watch the change because at the, at the college undergraduate level, they tend to still be talking about the difficulties of the problem. Like what are the other areas of expertise that you need to solve that problem? At the expert to expert level, they're like speaking philosophically about why this problem exists and how the shape of the problem is changing. And so there's an element of that where you can see that as you continue to grow as an expert, you know, how, how capable are you of exploring different depths off the cuff? Another marker of this to know whether you have that credibility is how often are you asked to cite your sources? So I actually get this question a lot. Did you, did you make up this framework? Yep, I did, right? That is actually a little bit of a question of my credibility. And now I've spoken about it en- enough that I tend to not get that question as much, but especially when I first introduced it, a lot of people asked me, where did you get this? And I'm like, I, I got this from my head and my experience, right? And so that that is indicative of me not having as much credibility. Um, so if you're constantly asked to cite your sources versus you being cited as the source, that's another indication that you may need to continue to grow in your credibility. So writing, speaking, publishing, that prolific piece, the more you speak about an idea and the more you explore it from different angles, 
the more credibility you'll have on that if you don't have the positional authority um, to be able to speak about it. People can listen to you and say, okay, this person clearly knows, they've clearly explored the topic, they've clearly gone at depth on this conversation. And you think that someone that just studied someone else's really deep ideas and they were almost you know regurgitated they, they they still wouldn't get that credibility or they, or they would like would it be as effective in building your credibility they would that helps but it doesn't make you a thought leader right because you're not having that depth of ideas right so people with credibility yes they are well studied on the subject but especially in nascent spaces where there may not be a lot of existing work for you to cite or build upon to say hey i am well read in this space it might not be possible like you can you know again ai is perfect right like especially some of the ai that's ai discussions that are happening in the marketing space that is quite nascent and so so yes there are ai experts the people who actually built it are are experts in ai they have credibility to speak about that but from a marketing perspective in that application there's not a ton of work for you to build on and just start citing you know this study and this study and this study and this study um and so yes that ability being well read in your space does lend to your credibility but I would say that that is different. If, if the only thing you're doing is curating or, or giving an opinion on someone else's ideas, that is not contributing as much to your credibility as a thought leader, as much as it is cre- your credibility as an expert in the space. And so the second pillar, profile. How do, you, how do you build your profile? You work your way up. You start at the local meetups. You start at your town halls. <laughs> you start on podcasts that have no followers, you start building on LinkedIn and posting there every single day. Um, I think it's funny. I get this question a lot. People ask me, you know, okay, they've decided they're going to speak at a conference and they want to speak it inbound, which is like the biggest conference in marketing. And I'm like, okay, what do you want to talk about? Marketing. Anything specific (laughs) in marketing? Well, I don't really have a talk. Okay. So you don't have a talk. Um, So do you understand that you have to pitch to speak it inbound? Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Yep. You got to pitch to speak there. Right. Um, and they're like, well, how do I do that? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> happy to help you do this. But like, have you spoken anywhere else before? Nope. First conference ever. I was, I attended last year and I was like, man, I want to speak. And I'm like, okay, you have no talk. <laughs> you've never pitched. You've never spoken like no offense, but it's going to be really hard for you to speak it inbound. It's unlikely to be the first place you speak. So having a reel, doing LinkedIn live streams, if you don't have a formal opportunity to speak, um, putting it out there. I've seen this a lot and I I actually make intros for people. Um, People say it on Twitter. I'm putting it out to the universe. I would love to do a podcast interview. So if you know somebody who needs guests, I want to speak. Here's the three topics I'd like to speak on. Excellent. So you have to start putting yourself out there. There's some ways that you can do that that are 100% within your control. Uh, like social media, like writing a blog post, but also that's pitching piece. People underestimate this. So most conferences start to source their speakers three to nine months in advance. So I, I got booked to speak at Inbound back in like, you know, March or something like that. And the conference is in September. So if you think like two weeks before the conference, like, how do I speak? You, you miss the boat. Um, there are a lot of places too, like I've published with marketing profs a number of times. Their queue, their publishing queue is like three months long. So as you're thinking about stuff, you know, building those relationships, um, starting to publish on your own so that you have a body of work, 
creating a little speaker reel, doing live streams so that they know that you're an engaging speaker, you have that experience and, and you have something to say that's unique. You have to start building that before you start pitching tier one press or podcasts or speaking gigs or blogs or whoever it is that you're trying to to get into. Build your way up. All right. Third pillar, prolific. How can you be more prolific or distribute more content? So this is the pillar that is 100% in your control and it takes right. time. So there are some hacks to this and I wouldn't call them hacks. I would call them distribution strategies. So repurposing is your friend. Um, riffing is your friend, right? Like uh, one example that I gave that I've given a lot is if you have a list of like five things to do to achieve this impact, you can just post the opposite of that. Five mistakes people make that keep them from achieving impact, right? So even just that mindset switch that people think that like, well, I came up with five things to do impact. I don't know. There's only five. Okay. Well, the opposite of each of those five is a mistake or a gap or a challenge to hitting that goal. And people are like, you're right. So most of the stuff that marketers do in this vein of taking slide decks and turning them into carousels or taking the script, like the speaker notes, I do this a lot. I take the speaker notes and I turn those into a LinkedIn post or I turn those into a blog. The questions that I get after the Q&A, especially if it's digital, I parse those out into clips. I turned that into a whole Ask Ashley Foss, Ashley Foss Answers hashtag because I didn't have time. I didn't have a good way to share those. And so I was able to just start pulling those questions out um, as clips and sharing those on Twitter or LinkedIn, right? Sharing those on social media, writing a wrap-up blog and saying, here's three clips from questions that I got. So for marketers and, and comms people, we're very fluent in that skill set. But for folks like engineers or executives, they're not fluent in that skill set. So um, that being prolific piece, like you have to say your message a lot before people get tired of it. So you can repeat the content. You can just take the opposite of it. You can take one slide and turn that into an image. You can take five slides and turn that into a tweet storm. So don't, don't think of each asset solely as that asset. So like I structure all of my decks for presentations in a way that I can pull them out and say, here's a concept I shared as part of this framework. And then that allows me to say, go read more about the framework in this article. Here's a, here's a sub framework or here's a real world example. Then two weeks later, I can say, here's my framework. If you want to see an example, go over here and look at this presentation deck, right? So that pairing mindset is also key. So what makes me super curious, so you mentioned being present on a whole bunch, like several platforms, not just one. So explain why I can't, I can't become a thought leader if I only do LinkedIn content. Why does it need to be on several platforms? So as you think about building your audience and sharing your message, LinkedIn rewards a certain type of behavior and a certain type of message sharing. But your audience and your ideas don't spread and don't grow in just the way that LinkedIn has said that you have to do this. So I think that's the other big thing. When you talk about changing the conversation or driving a new conversation forward, that means that people have to be able to consume, adopt, understand, and execute on your ideas. And so if you're only locked into, well, I wrote a book, therefore I'm a thought leader. Okay, but if nobody reads the book or people can't spread the ideas in the book or adopt the ideas in the book or execute on the ideas in the book, 
then in fact, you are not a thought leader. You, you just had thoughts, but you didn't lead. So it's really about making sure that you're sharing in a way that can be consumed, adopted and executed on or discussed or built on in multiple different forums, because we know that people don't just think and consume in the way that Twitter forces you to do that, or in the way that a blog and SEO forces you to do that. Right. So it goes back to what we were talking about, how the difference between expert thought leaders, that thought leader is more in relation to an audience. And so you have to be on several platforms to reach all that audience. Interesting. So now the fourth pillar, depth of ideas. How can you create deeper ideas? I think the first thing is you have to be solving interesting problems. So I get this a lot. Somebody asked me <laughs> recently, they're like, how do you come up with your unique angle? And I'm like, I mean, I, I don't. I look at the work that I'm doing and it sparks an idea. And I start to realize that like, I've had to explain this five different ways. Maybe this is a hard thing to understand, or I've been trying to explain this and I mm. keep failing. Okay. Why am I unable to explain this in a way that resonates? Maybe I need to sit down and do some work about how I'm communicating. So the thought leader, this thought leadership framework is actually a perfect example. I wrestled with this problem from a execution standpoint for years. And I was like, I'm not able to articulate this in a way that allows me to do my work. I'm not able to frame this up in a way that allows us to set proper goals or to divide up the work or to get buy-in from executives. I have to find a better way to talk about this because I'm failing at executing. And so that's what actually made this framework. I didn't sit down and think of something smart. I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. And then I finally zoomed out and said, okay, what are the common patterns where I've succeeded and where I failed? And so where I failed let me figure out if I, if there's gaps I can close from the places where I've succeeded, right? So I think that's the first thing. Most people don't take enough time to zoom out and look at why something works or failed. And so that's where I've actually found taking time to research and not just, I'm going to sit and think. It's, I'm going to take a step back and look at where I'm being successful, what's driving impact, where I'm not being successful, what's failing, why? Is there something interesting in there? Um, the other piece of this in terms of coming up with interesting ideas, I've come up with a number. I love a good two by two matrix, right? You got one thing on the X axis and one on the Y, and then you're going to plot people. I've come up with a number of two by two matrices that are just nonsense. I literally posted one. I was like, I think I have a solution in search of a problem. Like it feels like something should be here. I've got smart, but right. And I put that out there and I asked people like, what problem do you think this is solving? Like, should I go explore this? And the feedback was basically like all over the place. And I was like, all right, I, clearly I don't have something. Like this is not, res it's not really resonating with me and it's not resonating with anyone else. Cool. I don't have a good idea. Discard it. So that's another thing that you need to do is you have to be putting the stuff out there. You have to be willing to fail and then you have to make time to study why. Um, this idea that you're going to just like sit in your ivory tower and think smart thoughts, like that's not the way to come up with good ideas. You got to be having a lot of interesting inputs and you have to make space to zoom out and analyze those inputs. I, I really like that. I've been not, not with the intention of becoming a thought leader, just simply because one, I'm a nerd and I like to think deeply about things. And so I, I like what you said about how you fail to explain a certain idea. And I've, I've had that come up so many times and I've, I've tried to 
going to apply that advice where, or I've just literally gone to a cafe and I find that writing is the best. You just kind of write out different ways of explaining that. And I find that's the best way to come, to really develop and make concrete ideas is to write, which goes against the service that I sell, which is basically capturing those ideas with video. But I think that from what I've seen, what LinkedIn content has helped me with is when you want to develop a concrete idea about something that you're struggling to tell people, do it in writing. And then later on, once you develop and make those ideas really concrete, then you can share it in however, however form you need. So one, one last question. Is there one thing that you wish everyone would just know about thought leadership that you're just dying to tell everyone? Maybe someone's just so many people just ask you something. Stop using it as a buzzword. Stop using it as a catch-all to mean quality content. Stop using it as a catch-all to mean executive content. Quit misunderstanding thought leadership. That is my <laughs> that is my rallying cry. I hope this episode helped you understand why and how to become a thought leader in your field. I will leave the link to Ashley's four-pillar framework. It's extremely thought through, no pun intended. Hope to see you all next episode.